Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners, welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your black and white oasis of calm in the tempestuous, storm-tossed waters of the championship season. Off the back of a win to scale back the rising tides of discontent after dropping points from two winning positions, Scott Parker's men find themselves just three points off the automatic places and a double game week ahead to make the most of after beating Wigan at the Cottage on Friday night. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be a navigator through today and joining me in the studio is the Professor Mr. Ben Jarman. Wagwan, everyone. Everybody's favourite American, Mr. Nathan Martin. Hello, hello. And making his debut on the podcast. Please put your hands together for Mr. Joe Sansom. Hello. Before we get started, Joe, I'm giving you the floor to introduce yourself. You have one minute on the clock. Let the Fulhamish fan base know your black and white CV. No pressure. All right, yeah, no pressure at all. Okay, so my biggest claim to fame has to be sitting behind Jack Kelly for four seasons and watching possibly the most passionate Fulham fan I've ever seen react to both goals scored and conceded. Then uh, my other claim to fame, ooh, my, uh, okay, my first ever game, I fell asleep. Uh, it must have been around the age of six or seven, I missed an Emil Heskey screamer and four or five other goals. I think we lost 4-2. Um, other than that, I've seen some shockers, of course. Um, 5 one away to Derby has to be my least favourite game ever. And my favourite is actually possibly slightly rarely uh, actually the derby at home game rather than the playoff final That's which i just enough. couldn't enjoy no it was it was actually a fully unenjoyable experience for everyone That's <laughs> yeah, a good if you'd remained as uninterested as you did in that first game you could have saved yourself a lot of hassle what could have been yeah. could have you could been? have had such a nice easy stress-free life <laughs> instead you're talking fulham with us three losers in in this studio <laughs> it's the definition right. of fulhamish right there. it is indeed right jack kelly and losses Jack Kelly, losses and falling asleep. This, <laughs> my ladies and gentlemen, is the Fulhamish podcast. And Ben Jarman, you're going to play secretary today. And I'm giving um, this to you for some three-word reviews after our win over Wigan. Thank you very much. So I think we'll start with uh, Lydia Campbell and Tom Kearney Rocket. There were some excellent submissions this week. And I really like Lawrence Craven's Kearney's Lactic Acid, which is also oh, a good brilliant. one. Really very strong. good. Chris Blackman, uh, he said Kearney's Consummate Class... Uh, Lars There's Anderson. A theme here. Lars Anderson's Tom Tom turnaround, which is great. And then I think we'll end on uh, Richard Bamber's Friday Night Grinder. I'd like to give a shout out to Rich because we call him Soul Bamber, and he's only gone and got a shirt with the name Soul on the back, hasn't he? It's just great, great content for what everyone involved. I'm only here for content, and that, <laughs> if you, that if you Richard. See, great if you see content. someone walking around the cottage with Soul Nine on his back, that's Richard. So give him a give him a shout from us. Give him a hug. Right before we get on to Wigan fully, a little plug: an exclusive deal for Fulhamish listeners. You can try out Football Index, which is an app on your phone. It's well fun. You get a thousand pound risk free for seven days. Basically, if you lose any money, you contact them and they just give you it back. It's basically to see if you like the game, see if you enjoy yourself. And and basically, you just go in and talk about some players and, and try and buy them. And it's a bit like a stock market for football players. So it is good fun. I would highly recommend. To take advantage of the offer, go to fullamish.co.uk slash index and download the app using the link on that page. And then use the referral code Fulhamish once you've downloaded it. Please note this offer is only valid for users in the UK and Ireland and you must be over 18 Please gamble responsibly. Can I just quickly ask, on Football Index, who have you bought? 
Because, me? Because someone like Sammy buys Sessignon because he knows him. Who have you bought? Because you know much more. Uh, Stefano Sensi, who I think is going to be the best player in Serie A this year. Plays for Inter Milan is sort of a key cog in Antonio Conte's Inter side. So I've I've got him and also Martin Odegaard is absolutely yeah. ripping up. Oh, yes. Great assist the other day. He's mm. been absolutely phenomenal for Sociedad and... Uh, much that hurts me as Betico, Joanne Jordan for Sevilla has really, really started well. So that would be my three, my three hot tips for for you on football. I, I've just realised we've we've maybe have a problem tonight because we've put uh, Ben Jarman and Jack Collins. So at any moment we run the risk of descending into extreme chat. extreme nerd trivia. So that's why you have an American and a newbie to sort of balance things. <laughs> we, out. we have indeed. Right, extreme we're going to talk about Wigan. We're going to talk what? about Wigan. I promise. <laughs> Um, Joe, and I'm going to start with you. What were your kind of overarching thoughts? Because, yes, it was three points, an important three points for Fulham, but the performance was quite lackadaisical, especially in the first half. Overall, I would say I was satisfied without being impressed. I thought that, especially the second half, we played well and we saw the game out well. But there were just still a few factors missing for me. We weren't clinical enough. And to be absolutely honest with you, Wigan were very poor. Yeah, they were bad. Um, we should really have put them to the sword more than we did. But it was just a standard 2-0 home win, similar to the Blackburn game. We weren't fantastic, but we got the job done. And those are the sorts of games that maybe when you aren't playing as well, you just have to come out on top. Absolutely. Nathan, you watched the game in a slightly different location for the rest of us. Do you want to explain uh, why? As another you know, diehard Fulham um, supporter, I watched the game from um, Munich, uh, where... At- I don't know how many steins down I was uh, following Fulham very closely from the confines of Oktoberfest. So, um, you know, I, I felt a little underprepared tonight, but I've watched most of the highs, watched, caught, caught up of everything. Um, and you know what? When you when, when you look at the game, it, it, it's, it's one of those games that's hard to get excited about, with the exception of Kearney's goal, which I know will come on to exception, which is, which is gorgeous, seeing Joe Bryan get his goal. But, you know, it's just it's so early in the championship. And so we, we didn't play well. I think the Blackburn analogy is a really good one because we weren't that great in that game. I was at that one as well. And, you know, we came out with a 2-0 win. It feels more comfortable in retrospect. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the stats and you look at everyone was at the game. We, we played quite poorly in the first half. We still had some chances. We still should have scored. But at the same time, I keep thinking, you know, all it takes is one weird deflection. We'll come on to sort of, you know, if we want to talk about XG and how Charlton have been a bit lucky to, to, to get some of the results they have. All it takes for Wigan is one of those things. The game changes dramatically, but it doesn't. We come out with three points. We're four points off first place. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Ben? You know, it is, it's exactly that. It's a hard game to get excited about because of the way Fulham played. But we haven't talked about this. We are three points off second, four points off first. And we haven't really played that well yet, Millwall accepted. This seems like a sensible place and a good place to be, given that this team hasn't fully gelled. Well, yeah, I don't get the panic at all. You see a lot of it on social media, people saying that Scott Parker should have or should be under pressure. Scott Parker should be playing this type of football. Fulham should be making wholesale changes. Who should we be bringing into the team? Who should we be excluding? Who should we be looking at in January? When actually, if we look at it kind of rationally, we haven't really got out of first gear except from that one game against Millwall, which was as perfect a game as you'll ever get. Um, I think actually, in contrast to other weeks, this week showed a little bit more balance between what we should be aiming for because although the stats won't reflect it I felt like we had some good metal in the middle we had a nice balance in there and it wasn't a case of the other the other team the opposition trying to stretch that game of Fulham really struggling to cope with it actually we probably coped with it a little bit more than we have done against a lot of the opposition that we played in the last six or seven weeks 
And I think that's just because we have a little bit more bite in the midfield with Johansson in there. And thankfully, from my perspective, we've put an end to the Bobby Reid centre midfielder experiment that we have the last few weeks. I was going to come on to this next. And, you know, Steph Johansson came into the midfield and Parker's got a lot of criticism I suppose for his substitutions for his changes of personnel and and some of that is completely right and some of that is well deserved but he made a very good decision early on before the game started to put Steffi Hansen back into the midfield and the three looked cohesive again which was something that is always pleasant to see Joe. Yeah definitely I also think it let uh, Kenny go slightly further forward because he didn't have to worry about Reed being up there as well and I think that always benefits a team I do think Kenny should be as close to Mitrovic as possible in this system I think that Stefan Janssen had a great game, to be absolutely honest. I thought he came in and he did exactly what he's meant to do. We know that Wigan are going to be a team that they're not going to want to play the way we play. There's no right or wrong way to play football. They know that they're technically not on our level. Yeah. And fair play to them. They First half, they did well. But um, without being exceptional, I thought Stefan Janssen did a very good job of what he was meant to do. He broke up the play and he actually got us going forward on the break quite a few times as well. I've never seen a man who drop so many flick passes in one pass in one game <laughs> in one half of a game really every time Steph got the ball he seemed to want to play a you know a Cruyff flick and, that, and, I, and, that and little, I love it and but that little flick that, that little pass he made to Mitrovic though in the first half was mm. absolutely exquisite and could have been you know the game changes dramatically in that point and he's got a bit of that he's got the you know he's got the defender side of things where he can be a bit tough and a little bit nasty at times but he's also got a bit of creativity. And I think we were saying this before he came on air that, you know, we, we kind of wrote him off after the Barnsley game because he, he played quite poorly. But he's, you know, just like Reem last year, it's like it takes some players a few games to get up to speed. And I'm really happy to see Parker giving a bit of trust. He's a great player and we're glad to have him back on the side. Absolutely. Ben, we did eventually break the deadlock and it came in, in weird <laughs> and somewhat fortuitous yeah. fashion uh, from everybody's favorite player, Joe Bryan. Yeah. Early, early, early front runner for player of the pod for this season. Like, like you know, Joe Bryan has to be up in the top three, right? Like, I think Joe Bryan's my favorite film player of all time. I, think I said this halfway, <laughs> I said this halfway through last year and, um, <laughs> during the bad spells. You know, it's love. Um, yeah, it was. I'm glad, obviously, delighted to see Joe Bryan score, but also for us to come out in the second half and actually batter the door down almost straight away and, yeah. and put the kind of demons of the first half to rest. Well, yeah, this is the thing I've always said about Fulham since I've been on this podcast is that the second half of games, we always tend to sort of not turn up for the first five or ten minutes. And it's really nice to see us turning the screw early. And I think that's where you can catch a lot of teams out regardless of how good or bad they are. And it was really nice to see Joe open his account for us. It's a, it's a really nice finish off his wrong foot. And it's it's thoroughly deserved, as you know, and everyone else here knows. I love Joe Bryan as well, and I'm delighted to see him knee sliding towards the hammy end. There's no there's no better sight than the footballer knee sliding, is there? He looked like he really enjoyed it, and and that's important because you know if someone enjoys scoring for the club and enjoy and enjoys it that much, you know, he, hopefully he was, they'll do it again. Hopefully they <laughs> yeah. might, might want to stay and do it again and some more. So that was good to see. And then we missed loads of chances, Joe. Uh, yeah, I mean there weren't that many. Clear cut, clear cut ones. Right, we had more yeah. clear cut ones in the first half, actually. I'd say, but um, mm. yeah, Knockhart had a nice little sort of jinking run, sort of trademark coming inside. But then Mitrovic had a header. Mitrovic Bobby had Reed, quite a few chances. Bobby Reed nearly sort of jinked his way through after some weird bits of play. Down I would the love to see line. Bobby Reed open his account. I would also like that very yeah, much but because I, f- I feel like he is. Uh, he, he needs a goal player. to set him off a bit. Yeah, confidence player. Mm. Um, but no, I, th- I think we played well after that, and I was a bit worried for I'd say I was only worried for about five minutes when we sat back a tiny bit and I think it was actually very good game management 
that they came forward ever so slightly, Wigan, and we just absorbed the pressure and then we hit them on the break. And I was just a bit nervous that we were going to make the same mistake as we did in the last two games. But we didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, this is it. So it gets to 80 minutes and then it's 82 minutes and 83 minutes. And you just know that Fulham, if Fulham are going into that last bit of, of the game or into injury time with a 1-0 up, everyone is nervous. The players are nervous, the crowd gets nervous. And so for Tom Kearney to produce that little bit of magic was worth its weight in gold, Nathan. Yeah, but also one of the things that you see when you go back and you watch it, one of the things that gives me most... We were saying, like, what can you actually know about the game, right? And what can we know about this squad? One of the things that's best to see is that Knockhart has been incredible this year. He's an amazing player, got a bit of passion, and get a bit of, um, you know, excitement to the game. But it's directing that in the right place and knowing how to put it together. And what the best thing that I saw was seeing Knockhart and Kearney seem to have an understanding of each other a bit, which and, and that's really nice. And what that meant was they'd play a few little one-twos. But they also, when Knockhart goes on those crazy runs, and draws five players along with him. Kearney's kind of, you know, almost a bit like, you know, you you interviewed a, a certain player who's quite talented at getting free in the box. It's knowing how to use space, you know, and so Thomas Mueller does that for Bayern or for Germany. Kearney sort of is, is, is feeling himself out. And there were a couple of times where you saw the players know that Kearney was going to be in that little pocket and he's shooting and he's just scoring absolute worldies. I, I think there's something, you know, we talk about XG quite a lot and we talk about shots with low percentages of actually going in and actually, if you look at that Kearney shot, it does, but his relationship, to borrow a tweet from the club, with that top corner and the fact <laughs> is, when Tom Kearney comes back across himself, he almost always scores. Like, whether it's low, high, if he drags the ball back across himself with his left foot, Tom Kearney usually, and he finds a target, Tom Kenny usually scores, and, and, and that's was, impressive. Yeah. And was but was Mitrovic celebrating or calling for? Of course, the pass? he was celebrating. He was having a lovely time. He was <laughs> having a great time, and um, that's it. In terms of how you look at it backwards, mm. Ben, and, and that goal and how impressive and important it was. Yeah. it's just the feeling that of relief, I suppose, around it. it was like as soon as that went in, it was like, well, we're done. Then we've we've won this game, and until that point, you were like we could throw this away. And and it's good to get, you know, you lose the confidence when you lose a couple of games in a row. And we've seen that across Europe, loads of teams who, who just seem to have that fragile mentality. And Fulham have had it a bit. For us then to go and see that game out should help to ease that pressure. Yeah, I think that's a, a massive thing. A, a lot of football is about the confidence side of the game, having that mentality to, to see what you could perceive as a tough game through. And actually, I think on reflection, it's probably not that... It was never a knot on a knife edge for Fulham. I don't think we ever were in danger of drawing or losing this game. You look at the stats, Wigan had no shots on target. They had five shots total. I don't think that they posed a huge threat. Yeah, we had a little bit less possession than we normally do. But I don't actually think that Wigan would have battered, battered the door down. As Nate, Nate said, it, it can, all it can take is a deflection. But if you're limiting them to shots from outside the area and no shots on target then getting a deflection that's going to get them a goal is, is very much unlikely but I get you I completely get you like it does Keith feel like a Keith relief Keith Moore scares me Keith Moore was <laughs> yeah. like 6 foot 6 you're like well, he's just going to score a header isn't <laughs> I think Ring's still got him in his back pocket though he probably does but the point being that I was like it's just going to loop in off someone and he's going to head it nod it Atty yeah. Nui all over again wasn't it's, it? it's just a confidence thing like now we've got that that, that win under the belts it's like a weight off the shoulders and now we've got two or three very winnable games in a row, that could easily be nine points. It should be nine points. 
Absolutely. And and if we do get nine points, you very much feel that we're going to be pushing, especially with West Brom and Leeds playing each other. You know, you feel like we're pushing into those areas that we want to be in, that we mm-hmm. believe we can be in. I just want to finish, Joe, on the Wigan game by talking about Harrison Reed, mm-hmm. who was my man of the match. And we did full time straight after pod. He was with, with Robbie and George and he was both of their men of the match. What did you make of his performance? Because I reckon he's really cementing himself now in front of that back four. Yeah, definitely. Since the West Brom game, I think he's been fantastic. Um, before that, he was sort of a bit part player, like coming on at the end of the games. And I and I thought that he would eventually make that sort of six role his own. Um, he reminds me of McDonald in his first season, but smaller and quicker. <laughs> a lot and, smaller. A, and, and, and a lot quicker. And, 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 yeah, and quite a, quite a bit better actually in possession, I think. Um, and I also just one small thing was that when it was nil nil in the first half, I noticed from from my seat that Wigan had a free kick and it wasn't in a very dangerous area. And a few of the Fulham players were walking back and he was absolutely screaming at them to get back in position because he was just taking no chances. He doesn't want Wigan to have a sniff. And I think that he does that role brilliantly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we've. We'll, we'll come on to this because it makes sense to do it now. But in Tom Kearney, we have a captain who leads very much by example <coughs> rather than, you know, necessarily by being loud and, and shouting at players. Yeah. So, you know, you need those leaders like Reed, and, and, what, and that's what you ha- McDonald did so well with Kearney in the captaincy is that he was the vocal one. He allowed and he allowed Tom Kearney then to flourish. Is it important, especially with Harry Arter out of the team? And look, Harry Arter has many faults, but he is very much that vocal person that will shout. It's important to have someone like Reed, and and it's important for people like Mawson and Reem to step up and be those kind of figures if Kenny is to remain as the captain and just do things by example. Yeah, well, I think Mawson offers that from us a central defence point of view because you often see him. It's him that calls the line as much as people would want to believe it's Reem. It is actually Alfie Mawson that calls that line and gets everyone up and level and organised but I think that's where this weekend or sorry this Friday night especially you saw the influence of Johansson because as much as I love Harrison Reed in that sixth position when you've got two midfielders in front of you that don't want to do a hell of a lot of defensive work it puts Mm. a hell of a lot of pressure on you and I think reintroducing Johansson in there to be a little bit more of a a voice a little bit more vocal and to break up play a little bit more it gives Reed more freedom to play I think that's why we saw him benefit so much and that's why he was man of the match ultimately. But yeah, I agree. I completely agree. It's also about, it's a long season and this is, I know, again, you made the point about social media, but no one wants to remember this and you actually have to find a couple different ways of playing if you're going to make it through the course of the year. So some games can be Arter, some are going to be Steph Joe. And that's why, you know, we, we sit in 10th position right now, but I'm not all that concerned because we're, we're kind of finding our way right now still and it's okay. Yeah, I mean, look, to be within touching distance of the automatic places, having played nine games and not necessarily played that well in particularly many of them is probably a safe place to be i think you could you could point. be on two points like stoke and huddersfield right now like i mean that stoke that that is when the alarm bells have to start well going. norwich were 17th i think at this they're, point they're, in the they're definitely lower than we are they're yeah. very very low and they went on the one the league and you know it took them some time to click and eventually you'd, you'd hope that the same will happen to fulham and the games are coming thick and fast. So we will be getting on to our trip away to the Majeski, everybody at Fulham's favourite away day, just after the break. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Hello, Dom here. If you want an extra Fulham audio fix each week, check out the Fulham Fan Show on Love Sport Radio, which is every Wednesday from 9 until 10pm UK time. There's plenty of Fulham discussion and regular interviews with ex-players too. If you can't listen live, just search for Fulham Fan Show in your podcast app of your choice and get it on demand whenever you like. 
just before we get back to the second half of the podcast, I've got a very special announcement to make. Some of you may already know or have tickets for our Fulhamish 200 event, which is taking place after the Charlton game. It's our 200th episode. And so to push the boat out a little bit, we've decided to do a live episode from the old Suffolk Punch, which is home to our full-time episodes, which you may see after every home game. Sammy's already announced that Gentleman Jim, the hero himself, is going to be joining us for the first half of that. But I'm delighted to announce that the second half will play host to a Fulham legend, Sir Barry Hales, who will be joining us to do a Q&A with fans and with a panel specially selected from the Fulhamish crew. So, if you haven't already got tickets and that tickles your fancy, then you can get them by searching Fulhamish 200 on Google and going to the Eventbrite. They cost £3.75 and we'd be delighted to see as many of you down there as possible. Right, back to the show. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by Nathan Martin. Hello. Ben Jarman. Hello. And Joe Sansom. Hello. And we're about to talk Reading, where Fulham go tomorrow night, or maybe tonight if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, on tour. Back to our favourite stadium in the world. <laughs> One of the um, top ten most beautiful grounds in the Beautiful, UK. easy to get to. Um, we have <laughs> Lovely a, we, atmosphere. We, we rarely go there. Good Wonderful atmosphere. Referees. Yeah, basically. Good memories from it's got the whole. It's got the whole lot, really, Reading. So, so we're excited about that. Um, a game, basically, that we need to win, Joe. Yeah, basically, get in, get out as quick as possible. Three points, Three points. and out. Um, I'm not going because of work, but I've been many, you, many we've times. We've all been enough times. And, and yeah, <laughs> you've I, served I've, your penance. I, I, I've been there <laughs> countless times, and I've actually never seen us win there. I think it's a good I've job you're not coming then. Times. Yeah, so I think that I've done everyone a nice thing by not coming. I'm going. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. It's like one of those things where I've like, they were like, do you want to go to Reading away? I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I thought about it and was like, no, of course I don't. Like, there's absolutely well, nothing. Sadomasochism is part of the full oh, I know. DNA. Absolutely, it's just part of it. Um, Reading haven't had the best start to the season. They are low down in the championship table. Coming they've off lost, a draw with Swansea. Yeah, they've lost a lot of games at home, but at the weekend they did manage quite an impressive draw against an impressive Swansea City side away from home. They've been better away from home, Ben. It's been the losses at home that have really started to, to punish them, and hopefully that's not something that I'm going to say and, and regret saying in 24 hours' time. Yeah, well, you've definitely put a curse on it there. Um, if we turn up tomorrow and we get spanked, then uh, there's only one person you can blame that's going to have to be you, isn't it, Jack Collins? Me and Scott Parker, I imagine. <laughs> no, definitely just you. No, but I think the way they've been playing this season with quite a young squad is what makes the results for Reading so unpredictable. They've put a lot of people in lots of very strange places. And you were telling me just before we came back on air about Lucas Joao in midfield. Yeah, Lucas Zhao, obviously scourge of Fulham for for years at Sheffield that Wednesday Blackburn and then at goal. Blackburn oh. on loan in in the game where Syriac could have become a hero and didn't. Um, but yeah, he started to play midfield for, for Reading, so that's interesting. He was always a bit of a bustly striker, so it seems to be working. They have a lot of good players here, though, Joe, and the likes of Puskas has come in. He hasn't been brilliant over the last couple of games, and he's a bit wasteful, and you'd expect that from a young striker, but... We've seen that he can basically win games by himself, i.e. the Cardiff game earlier in the season. Yeah, I was going to say that Cardiff game, he was, it was just a fantastic performance, like all-round centre-forward play. The first goal, I think it was in particular, where he ran from, ran about the halfway line, possibly inside his own half. Yeah. John Swift's also had a great season so far, um, similar to, I believe, the season that they were in the playoffs against us. He was um, so good that year. When, yeah, he was basically that year rivalling, not quite, um, Tom Kearney for the best sort of attacking midfielder in the league and 
on his day, he's a very good player. And I think he's someone that if we can take him out of the game, we've certainly got a better chance. Absolutely. They've gone to a three at the back system, Ben, mm-hmm. um, which is something that we've actually traditionally struggled a little bit against because we don't seem to control the game as well when we can't get through. And if they're going to pack the box and we're going to try and sit off us, then Fulham are going to struggle with that. But they went toe-to-toe a little bit with Swansea. They had equal amounts of possession and they really did grow into the game. And, and Swansea have been a good possession side this year. So there are bits. OG Ajaria, obviously on loan from Liverpool. He's in the midfield there making things happen. Boy up front. You know, there's good players here and they can punish us. Would you change anything if you were Parker? Or would you very much be, we are better than pretty much anyone in this division on our day, go out there and beat them? I think the, the latter is probably the stance I would take. But I definitely wouldn't portray that message to the players. Because it just means that they would step off the gear and then probably go for well, what would end up being quite a negative result away from home against a team that is quite deadly. The thing about playing a three at the back is that you have to try and almost lure out the fullbacks to try and get in behind them and try and stretch that back three. Or you just do what happened to England at the World Cup in 2018 where those fullbacks get completely pinned back and you start to overrun the middle by short interchangeable passes. Um, and just make make those middle three or two, depending on the formation they're playing, overly tired. Um, so I don't think that Fulham will change up too much. I think that if they're going to do anything, they'll probably potentially change that midfield. They might take Johansson out and put someone a bit more creative back in, whether that's Bobby Reid or, or otherwise. We may see a change there. But I actually can't see Parker doing too much, I think. The one thing we see about Parker is that he's very steadfast in his approach to football. And I think that's only a positive because if you get a manager that changes too much or flip-flops between formations, it sends out the wrong message. But Parker is like Jokanovic in that he has one brand of football and he likes to play it. It's just he's a little bit more flexible than, than Jokanovic ever was. So I think if there is going to be a change, it'll be a creative one from Scott. And it'll be one that puts us on the front foot always. I don't like... It when a manager changes a team, put, immediately puts them on the back foot or tries to be too conservative. Yeah. Um, and Scott doesn't really do that. He's never done that when he's been in charge of us, unlike when we had Ranieri. Absolutely. Nath, would you make any changes? I, I actually wouldn't, because I, I actually think tomorrow night's much less about tactics as it's, it's more about like mental preparation. And I think we, you know, we saw it happen after the Millwall game where we sort of let our, you know, Nottingham Force is not a bad side. But no, you know, that's wildly overperforming from from a lot of right. But I, but a lot of that is also us just not being ready for it. I think that happened on the opening game of the season. There were some tactics there as well, but there's also some mental preparation. And I think tomorrow night is a classic sort of trap game where you have Charlton this weekend, which is you know who would have thought at the beginning of the year that that's actually quite a big, a, a big game to be happening. It's also an early game. It's on Sky. It's gonna you know you got kind of a London derby vibe of it. I think tomorrow night, Reading as well, they've got a little chip on their shoulder. You know, this they is a really club. They don't that, like us. No, they don't like us. You know, I've just looked on managers trying to get the fans rallied, kind of get them fired up a little bit, get a little bit of momentum going. And, you know, if, if, if I was Parker, it's just making sure from minute one that we come out solid. We don't do anything stupid. But actually not doing anything stupid doesn't mean we sit back. It means we attack. Yeah, we control And so we, we, we keep going with what we do. You leave Johansson because he's going to mess things around a little bit. And, you know, we express ourselves early in the game. And if that happens, then that actually is going to be the greater mark of whether we have a chance of pushing for top two, because these are the type of games that we have to get three points on if we're going to move on. Joe, you and I spoke very briefly before we came on today about Stephen Sessegnon and how he's playing well without setting the world on fire. But he's often withdrawn sort of 70 minutes into a game. This is our first sort of midweek shuffle for a little while. 
Do you think that we might see a rotation at right back? It wouldn't surprise me. I think that he's been good so far. Um, I think that he's just done his job, really. He's um, been uh, fine. He's, yeah. he's been fine. Um, and he looked very comfortable there on Friday night as well. But um, like, his, like his twin brother, um, we all know him. Um, in his first season, they were rotating him and Malone during the midweek games quite a lot. And it wouldn't surprise me if the same thing happened because Parker seems to want to safeguard him a little bit in terms of throwing him into every single game constantly for the entire 90 minutes. Um, so like the others said, I think I wouldn't make any changes, but if we were going to make any changes, I think it would either be in midfield or at right back. Okay. Prediction tomorrow night? I will go 2-1 Fulham. Ben? Yeah, also 2-1 Fulham for me. Nate? 2-1. Honestly, oh, God. Any, any, so we're going to obviously <laughs> Come lose. On, we're going gonna to lose tomorrow it's gonna be night. going to be 2-1 Reading. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I um, no, I guess go 3-0. I think we're going to win 3 Red, I think you've got a nice little Portuguese coach. So um, He is good. I do like he's him. He's a good coach as well. It's just a shame about the players he has to coach. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's a, a lot of unknown quantities, but then also some old faces from the past. Tyler Blackett, Jordan they, they, Abita, they got an American, Luke Moore. an American on the back line there, Matt Miago. Matt, Matt Miazgi, yeah, he's been yeah. rotating in and out. That's the thing. They're, they haven't got quite the settled squad, I think, that we, we've always imagined. So there's a lot to come in. But let's talk... Some questions, Ben, shall we? We've yeah, got a sure. couple of good questions in, so we'll finish the pod off in the way that we know best. We'll start with Sol Bamba. He's got two shout-outs today. Well done, Sol. Um, he says, Engaged audience, I love it. <laughs> he says, why do you suppose Mitro gets the captain's armband when TC is subbed? Personally, never seen strikers as captains, but why not someone like Reem or Mawson? And Joe, we'll throw it to you. I see his point, but I do. I don't see a problem personally with strikers being the captain. I think Mitrovic is a leader. I think also this season you've seen that. I was saying this before we came on actually that everyone this year seems to be together, and they all seem to. Even if there's a foul against us, something we didn't see in previous years is that they all, maybe not the nicest thing always, but they go up to the ref and they protest it and they say, "Look, this isn't right." And I think Mitrovic is very good for that, and he sticks up for his teammates. And I think he's a good leader as long as he. As long as he keeps his head. In terms of, you know, the, you look at Sh- a Shearer or uh, Kane. What, uh, Kane or... I mean, not quite so much Kane, but uh, Alan Shearer <laughs> I think, is the example I've always given. Robbie Keane, you know, leaders of men, if if you will. And I think that if you look at those kind of players, I don't have a problem with a striker being a captain. I think there's a point in that, you know, Mitrovic is still quite young. Uh, and yes, he's been very much a leader this side, but... You know, Tim Ream, I'm sure he's not upset. <laughs> he's, he's also a player that has been here for, for donkey's years. He's done his active service, if you will. He's very much been a heart of this unit for four or five years. And if I was him, I'd be a bit like, oh, can I have the armband? <laughs> like, I could probably be captain this team. Yeah, I, I think I think I think your point, Joe, is exactly right, though. It's like cohesion is what matters more than anything else. And it doesn't really matter whether you say it or you scream it or whatever. I, I saw, you know, Mitrich picked up a yellow over the weekend. So I was looking to see, you know, he's still only got two yellow cards this season. He's, he's calm. He's, he's happy. And, you know, you look at the side and that was something we couldn't say about the squad last year. There were always a pocket of one or two players that were out on the pitch that you weren't entirely sure that they wanted to be there. And that's something with this side that with the exception of the Barnsley game, which there were a couple of players we didn't want out on the pitch either. <laughs> um, everyone seems happy to be there. Love seeing everyone celebrate the goals. And Mitrovic is being a leader. And sometimes it means being a bit of a wind-up merchant, which, you know, that may drive, you know, Huddersfield or fans or whoever else nuts or Cardiff fans nuts. But, you know, I, I love it. I'm a big fan of it. And it's also, I think, about... Um, you know the club's commitment to Mitrovic not just being like a rotating player like he's part of 
who we are and and I, so I'm, I'm all for it well, obviously you'll be all for it because after having landon donovan and clint dempsey as two strikers for usmnt you must be very very happy to see a striker well you know brian brian over. mcbride was part of the reason i'm a full supporter There's growing three. Up, so there, you know there, there we go so yeah all right next one is from ian hepburn he says do you feel stephanie hansen's importance and contribution at its level is undervalued by many supporters if so, why do you think that is? Jack Collins, as leader of the Steph Joe fan club, you can answer this? Yeah, I mean, Steph's a divisive person at the best of times. And I think somewhat, you know, while we all love the Steph that slides into challenges from behind and gets booked and and basically messes teams up with pure shithousery, I do think that sometimes undermines his... Like how he's viewed by fans and actually how technically good he is and, and how gifted he can be on the ball. And if you look back to that first season, that run to the playoffs where he was basically our joint top scorer, he, he spent you know those days where he terrorised Huddersfield and he was just always bursting into the box to get on the end of things. He's had to adapt his game. He doesn't do that as much anymore. We don't see that Steph that's popping up in the middle you know, to score goals anymore. And, and that's interesting to me and perhaps the fact that he's changed his game and and how he plays within the system kind of affects that because before you could see you know a lot of people judge footballers especially players they deem to be attacking players uh, by their goals and assists and all those things but actually Steph's industry his work rate his link up play in the middle and the fact that he is actually an eight he gets from box to box he supports his six he allows the 10 to flourish and with all those things I think he's undervalued in that he does a lot of the hard yards and the dirty work he's frustrating as well that's something that you have to you know put into context Steph isn't always perfect in fact he's often not very good uh, and especially last year when people were looking for scapegoats and, and it was you know, he was an obvious one to blame when things weren't going well because it's quite obvious when he's not doing well as opposed to other players who sort of blended to the background Steph's out there giving away yellow cards giving away free kicks in dangerous positions but on the whole I think that industry and work rate is why he's so important he allows us to link the the midfield and the defense and the attack and smash through transitions as we used to say back in the good old days ben before you know and and i don't think we have any other player that does that quite as well as steph and and something we've struggled with this year is actually getting the ball forward in in those transitions and that's why i think steph brings to the party well i think this week this friday was actually fundamentally one of our better um displays that are going through those transitions and it's not um, surprising that it's coincided with the return of Stefan. I think we really sort of saw, saw Fulham take on another form in like, like they were more counter-attacking this, this Friday night just gone and we looked more incisive on the counter and we broke quicker and that's why I really like having Steph back in the squad because every single team has to go through transitions quickly, whether they're trying to control the game or if they're on the back foot. It's just a key to modern football now. But, but do you think it also helps putting, and Joe, I'd be curious, like if you pair Steph where he doesn't feel like he has to do all of it. And so if you pair with someone like, you know, Harrison Reed or, or someone like that who could also provide a little bit of the cleanup crew because Carity's not going to do that, right? Like that's not his job. And I just kind of wonder, sort of stuff gets put out there and he's being, he, he, you know, he's a professional who can play a lot of roles, but we sort of ask him to do a lot. We're like, you know, do the shithousery, do the sort of dirty work, make the fouls when someone's breaking through, but then, you know, also make up the passes. And on Friday, maybe it's an example of like, he could be a, express himself a little bit more on the game, open things up because you've got someone who's also cleaning up the trash a bit. Yeah, I mean, he was best when McDonald, you knew McDonald was behind him in the mm. first two seasons, especially the first season. Yeah. Um, now he knows that Reed is there currently. I mean, that might change, but I hope it doesn't. Um, Reed is behind him. He doesn't have to worry that 
he is leaving loads of space behind him. He can go, as you said, jack box to box, which he's best at. And I think that it gives us a lot more balance in the field. I think one of the undervalued characteristics of Steph is that he's actually quite a good playmaker. Mm. He's got a really good eye for a pass and he, he definitely loves a good chip through ball. <laughs> um, I think what we'll go... L1 for... triangle when cutting inside. <laughs> exactly, and then I'll be in circle. Absolutely. Um, we'll go to another question here. This is from Lawrence Craven. What business do you expect Fulham to do in January? In particular, who do you think will leave in January? I think we should start looking soon to avoid disappointment. I think it's it's a difficult question because obviously Michael Hector's coming in. That's the obvious first defensive reinforcement that we're going to bring through. I do kind of expect us to sign a left back yeah. at some point because while I love Joe Bryan, as, as we've mentioned already, um, there's not that much backup. And I know Dennis Adoy came in as a left back and was expected to start there. But the way we play... Oh, maybe less so now under Scott because we don't have as much, you know, adventure via those fullbacks, and they don't get round as much. But the way that you know we need to create, especially with inverted wingers and get some width out, doesn't really make that much sense to have inverted fullbacks as well. So therefore, having a right foot play on the left is probably not ideal. So that's where I imagine we'll strengthen the rest of the team. It doesn't seem to need that much. I'd be interested to see if we ship out Nissan's Cabano. Um, obviously hasn't featured even on the bench since since coming since we've got back and we kept him and Ben's grinning at me because he's delighted but I really like Niskan Skubana I still think he could Con- probably do a bit of a job controversial you see Kamara's going to head out on a loan spell in January I don't think so I don't think we've got think- enough backup in forward options especially if Bobby Reed is playing in you know in the midfield but but can that's Kamara I- actually score in the championship like the way that every time he's been on the pitch I I'm not the quickest person to jump all over him, but I don't know. I could just—I just think we'll bring in a left back. That's basically my. my it one wouldn't thing. surprise me if he brought out, uh, brought in um, an out-and-out striker as backup because mm. although we got Mitch Fitch, that's a good point. Reed and Kamara can play there, and then we've got a few youth players. But I don't see another direct rival to Mitrovic, and I—I mm. I would like one just to. Just to let like someone target, to let him know like that he's target, there, like yeah, a target, target yeah. Man. or even a plan B, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I could completely agree with that. I also feel we need a little bit more in terms of um, experimentation on the wings. We need someone that's going to be out there and offer something different to the Cavaliero and Narcati who are going to come inside. I know Kamara is sort of an alternative to that because he doesn't know what he's doing, so nor all the defenders. But like, I feel like we need some sort of control. We need someone that's going to be able to hit the byline and we need someone that's going to be able to make clear-cut chances game after game. And like you said, Jack, a left back would be very much appreciated in there. Um, anyone? Well, I sort, I sort of do feel like we maybe sold the wrong winger in in the summer, and it should have been Neeskins that went, and not Floyd. Yeah, I, I don't mind this as a take. I, I think it's quite a reasonable thing to suggest, especially the way we're playing. Look, Cavalero has had a couple of hit and miss games. He's a little bit hot and cold. Yeah, and we don't necessarily have another out and out winger to, yeah, to replace him aside from, aside at. from Cabano. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I don't know where one's coming from that's going to who, who's going to be good enough to influence the team, but also happy to play second fiddle. Yeah, I, I don't know where that, that that balance is that that youth lies. So so maybe it's someone coming out of the woodwork from the youth teams. Maybe it's a hidden gem that we we discover from uh, across the water somewhere. But 
I don't know quite where it's coming from right now. I do think with the exception of a left back, I'd actually be completely happy if we just kind of stand put, get this team bedded in for the most part, or the exception of like a, a veteran striker who can come in off the bench and give you 20 minutes or 15 minutes. But we're, I mean, this is the point. This is like social media. We're going to like, who are we going to buy? Who are we going to buy? To your point, we haven't even bedded down the players that we you know, have already paid for or that we're yeah. already getting in. We'll do one last question, which is, who would win in a fun war, Mitrovic or Kamara? And that's from <laughs> Will Honeysett. I just feel like Kamara would cheat. <laughs> I just feel like he'd like punch Mitrovic in the face and then just you know nail his thumb. So I'm, I'm going to go Kamara, but through illicit means. I just think when you're on the streets of Serbia, you've had, you know, someone tries to cheat in a thumb war, you're going to find a way to win. You're going to know as it happened. And would you really want to cheat in a thumb war against Mitrovic? No, I wouldn't, but Kamara's a nutter. He's literally already had a fight with his <laughs> Can you just imagine, like, sitting across from him and looking directly into Mitrovic's eyes, and if for some reason you, you piss him off, like... Uh, he's a sweet and gentle man, but Joe, Joe's shaking his I mean, head. I, I could not bet against Mitrovic. Yeah, I, th- I think I think I think Mitrovic's definitely got it in the bag. I'd really like to play chess against Alexander Mitrovic in the streets of Belgrade. There's just loads of chess tables like all around the parks yeah, yeah. and all around the stuff, and and like all these just Serbian men sitting around them playing chess. So if I ever met Alexander Mitrovic, I would ask him if he wanted to play chess. J- Joe Bryan would win a chess tournament at Fulham, though, don't we think? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just Joe Bryan would win man. everything at Fulham. He is, he is the guy. <laughs> He's just the he really guy. really is the guy. The guy, right. I'm a big fan of, like, kids' games and just going through different, sort of, we can have a bracket of different Fulham. <laughs> who, yeah, who wins all of the different games? Right, there is only one thing left to do in this podcast, and it's on you, Benjamin. I want you to name it. So I'm going to go for a three-word review that we... Uh, name checked earlier and that's from Lawrence Craven it's Kearney's Latix Acid this is phenomenal excellent wordplay as as a wordplay fan this is just so up my street so I'm very on board with this right we will be back the Filmish Podcast after our trip to Reading uh, we will be back on Wednesday where Sammy and I are going to record some things and and have some fun, hopefully, talking about a win over Reading fingers crossed and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Nathan Martin Great to be here. Thank you very much to Ben Jarman. Thank you very much. Also great to be here. Thank you very much. And a brilliant, brilliant debut from Joe Sanson. Very well done. Cheers. Thank you. Very solid <laughs> debut. Very, very Stephen Sessignon. It is literally <laughs> Stephen Sessignon yeah, yeah. at Huddersfield. It's been, it's been fantastic. <laughs> I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Filmish Podcast. We'll see you at Reading. Take care, you whites. Toodles.